One, two, three, four, five. Welcome to West Virginia Commonplace. Today I have a special guest, Hunter Ferris. Hunter Ferris has something really, really niche that I want on my show and on our show. Um, he is a no-budget filmmaker. Mr. Ferris, can you explain this to the audience? Hi there. My name is Hunter. So what I do is I make short films. I release them once a week. Yes, I have a goal to release a new short film once a week, and I've kept that goal up for about six months now. But I also have a goal to not spend money on it because the more money I have to spend, the less stuff I can put out. If I'm spending, say, a thousand bucks per video, well, I can only do a video about once a month, once every six months maybe. If I'm filming on no budget, then I can put out, you know, as many videos as I can think of and cast and get a crew for and have time for. But then that leads into a lot of new complications. It's honestly, though, it's been great. It's been fun. And it takes the problem solving and collaboration of filmmaking to 11, which is honestly <laughs> what a lot of filmmakers love about filmmaking, the problem solving and the collaboration. Okay, so what inspired you to start making shorts and movies? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, so almost all my life, I've wanted to be in the film industry in some capacity, and I've wanted to be a professional storyteller in some capacity. And finally, a couple years ago, I realized that I wanted to go be a writer, director, maybe producer. And in the process, oh, probably... 18-ish months ago, I said, if I want to do that, I should actually do it instead okay. of just having it be some pipe dream. So I just, I hired a cast, I hired a crew, I spent about $1,000 to make a 30-second short, and then just kept making shorts, and I realized that I needed to lower the budgets. And um, that's more or less what led me to get into this. Okay, so when you're doing these um, no-budget films, right, or shorts, like, how do you figure out, like, the target or audience that you want to have for whatever you're doing? I have no idea. You have no idea? I'm sorry. I, I, I know target audience is important. I have no idea what... Okay, actually, I have one idea what my target audience is, and that's mostly just because of my style, not because of my process. Yes, no budget is my process, but my style is I make movies about movies. Okay. So it might be about a film crew. It might be a very self-aware referential parody like Shrek or Megamind, or it might be something where one of the characters knows they're in a movie like Deadpool, or it might be something where um, one of the characters is extremely aware of the genre and recognizes what's going on and recognizes the tropes like Scream or Community or something like that. So I guess my, my material and my story leads to an answer of I make movies specifically geared toward filmmakers. But, okay, that, <laughs> that's but a little that's bit. more of... Yeah, that, that's that's my material, not really my process. So that also doesn't really narrow down like demographics or anything. It doesn't tell me whether I'm targeting men or women or whether I'm targeting a specific race or whether I'm targeting a specific age group. I'm just like, hey, if you if you really like movies enough that you at least want to go make movies, then you'll like my movies. Okay, but that makes if sense. If you're the kind of person who's just like, 
I plop in a Marvel movie about once a month. No offense to Marvel whatsoever. I absolutely love their movies. If you're just the kind of person who's just like, I plop in a Marvel movie once a month, then um, a lot of the stuff that I do is going to feel really weird and out there. And you're going to be like, what on earth am I watching? Not like David Lynch style surrealism. Just when I'm writing, I always tell myself, can I make this more meta? Is there a way that I can make this even more meta than it already is? And if the answer is yes, then I do it. That's kind of my rule on writing. Okay, so when you're getting started with these uh, short films, what kind of equipment did you start out with to do your first one? Oh, gosh. Um, okay, so the first one, the first two, maybe three, I was hiring other people and asking them to use their equipment. Now, I wouldn't hire them for much because it would always be a really short gig. It would be like three total hours of filmmaking. And honestly, we were probably going to wrap early anyway. Like really, when you're filming a 30 second video, you don't need to film for that long. But after, but but once once I cut the budget out of it, it became, what do I have? Because... I'm going to be honest, if all you have is a smartphone, then you film with your smartphone. Okay. Last week, my phone died. Like, broke, died, will not turn on. And that's the camera I've been using for the last few months. And so I had to say, okay, what can I film that doesn't involve a camera? And so I had basically two options. I had actually three options. I had stock footage or I like royalty free stock footage, or I had make something that's entirely around text with no filmed visuals, just a bunch of subtitles on a black screen, or I had use my laptop's webcam. So like when you're talking with someone over Zoom using that camera. Whoa. I I chose the last one and I made it a video about having a broke uh, about what happens to a movie character when the camera for the movie breaks okay because if i was going to have no budget and i was going to have no camera i was going to incorporate that lack of camera into the storytelling somehow i wasn't sure how but i was going to force it to work okay so i see like you put a spin on it since the camera broke you did all that now is this camera fixed now or have you gotten you another camera to Um, Okay, what actually happened was about a week after my phone broke, uh, my brother reached out to me and said, hey, my old phone, the one that I use less often, has one of the best cameras on the market. Do you want to buy it for me super cheap? So he put it in the mail today, and by the time this episode comes out, uh, I'll have a really nice camera, but the last camera I was using had no camera settings at all for video. I couldn't alter the ISO. I couldn't alter the f-stop. I could barely alter the focus, but it was mostly autofocus. I couldn't alter the white balance, couldn't alter the the brightness, nothing. This was whatever a very the cam- Oh what? yeah, it was, it was so ghetto. Whatever the camera saw was what it filmed, which was really nice because it forced me to think about set design and it forced me to think about lighting and it forced me to think about composition because I couldn't think about the camera settings. If I wanted a blue environment, I had to put blue stuff in the environment. (laughs) If I wanted a bright area, I had to put more lights up. 
not that I have lights, but I had to just like turn on more lights or go grab my roommate's desk lamp or whatever else and find whatever light I could. If I wanted a darker area, I had to film at night or I had to close all the blinds. Like I had to really think about set design and production design and color and all that stuff because my camera wouldn't let me cheat my way through this. So kind of your, your camera kind of made you a genius to the fact of all the surroundings around you and how to use them to your advantage, basically, oh, or to the disadvantage genius. of your camera. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not a genius. I'm just a guy who was forced to figure stuff out because that's what filmmaking is. I mean, when they're oh, making Inception. Right in the Sorry about that. No worries, no worries. That's what filmmaking is when they're making Inception they're they're going through all this problem solving stuff and figuring out all this set design stuff and at one point they had to invent new materials to make inception i'm not kidding uh the scene early on when the dream collapses and water shoots into the windows they had to invent and build a water cannon that nobody else had ever made before and when Pixar makes movies, every time they invent a new technology because that's what the story requires. Like, honestly, this kind of problem solving is what happens in all movies. I just have to do it with less money than they do. Okay. <laughs> so what made you come up with this concept of uh, no budget film? Was it after you did your first 30 second and you spent $1,000? Did it just make sense that you could find a sensible way not to spend money to make a film? Yeah. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, the more money I'm spending, the less stuff I can make. If, if I want to put out something every week, I'm sorry, I'm not filthy rich. Filmmaking is my job. Like when I'm not making my own stuff, I'm on other people's sets helping them make their stuff and I'm getting paid for that. This is my job. Like I don't have money to spend on making stuff. And so... Honestly, this wasn't a creative decision. It was a budgetary necessity. Okay, and that, that makes said, sense. Right now, I am saving up to put some money into filmmaking. Like, so, every time I get a paycheck, I put 1% of my paycheck into filmmaking. Okay, that makes sense. Now, let me ask you this. Are you going into, like, a, a full-length type feature uh, somewhere down the road? Are you writing a script? Are you... Are you going any further, like, with something longer than just doing short films? Absolutely. Um, I see this as my film school. Okay. Because if I'm not going to go to film school, then I need to make enough stuff that I learn how filmmaking works. I need to learn filmmaking in every possible way outside of school. Well, the reason why I'm doing this film school idea, this, this the, the reason why I'm doing film school at all, just without going to school or getting a degree, is that eventually I want to go be a writer-director in the studio system. So right now I'm researching for my first short, which should be this micro-budget feature, one location, six characters, 90 minutes. And I've set up the, I, I've, I've run the math on this. We should be able to wrap principal photography in four weeks and we should be able to do two weeks of reshoots and then go edit this stuff. And because I'm making no budget stuff and because I'm forcing myself to make stuff where people are helping me out for free, I'm having to say, guys, we're going to wrap early. We're going to work quick. We're going to, we're going to make this as, as convenient on you as possible. And in the process, I've learned how to film really, really, really fast. 
so that once I do make a feature, I can go film in four weeks and do two weeks of reshoots and call that good. Eventually, way down the road, the dream project, the moonshot, the one that I can't give myself permission for, but I really want to do someday, is I want to go write and direct Marvel's Gwenpool. If you've okay. never heard of Gwenpool, that's okay. It is not a Deadpool thing, but it's this it's this cult classic comic that I absolutely love, and I really want to make the movie of it. It is the epitome of everything that I do. So in your work, uh, do you incorporate uh, certain standards like uh, like with cinematography, like uh, I'd say like, our, like, you know, Criterion films? Do you kind of incorporate any of that this early on, or is that something that you'll do later on? I'm sorry. Can you? I'm not sure I understand what you're asking. Can you? Right, like you know what you know what Criterion films are, correct? Oh, Criterion. I'm sorry, I misheard you the first time. Yes, yes, I did. Yeah, and you know that type of cinematography there. Those are the best of the best when it comes to filming. Are you trying to strive to that goal early on, or are you going to try to do that a little bit later? Dude, I don't care about making cinema. I don't care about making great art. I don't care about making. I don't care about making cinema. I care about making movies. Okay. I care about telling the story best, and I care about working with what I have, which is usually, like, right now, I don't even have a tripod. So I'm, like, working all handheld um, with a smartphone and just capturing the angles that I feel like will capture the feeling best. But as for my philosophy on cinematography in general... I hate realism. Oh, I man. Like reali- <laughs> I know that's a really weird thing for me to say. I just personally feel like realism is never the best way to get your message across. I feel like whatever your message is, there's a way better than realism to do it. Okay. I'm still figuring out if that's completely true because, like, the opening sequence of Saving Private Ryan, the realism does kind of help. I'm not sure if there's a better way to pull that one off. It's the only one I've ever seen where realism might be the best way to do it. But in all seriousness, every other movie I've ever seen that's realistic, I would always think, I know what you're trying to do, and realism is not the best way to do it. The best way to do it, as far as I've seen, is generally, generally, not always, to have exaggerated camera angles, to have some things that that represent how the character feels, not what's actually going on, and to have this almost, I'm not even going to say that because that's not even true. Um, I, I've seen that generally the best way to do it is to get some exaggerated camera angles and some angles that focus on what the character feels rather than what's actually going on. So I guess that's generally my philosophy when it comes to cinematography. Okay. <laughs> But I don't pretend to be a great cinematographer or a great anything. All right. Now let's talk about that. Let's talk about the editing process. What is your whole stance on editing? Like, how do you get out there after you film this? Like, because editing is a long period, no matter what you're doing, a podcast, video. How do you feel about editing? Editing editing is always the longest part. I wish that were not true. But at the same time, it's good that editing is the longest part because if you have seven takes then it's good that you're figuring out which of your seven takes you want there. And it's good to figure out exactly how long you want each part to be. And since I'm almost always my own editor, I'm learning a lot about what editing means so that eventually when I'm working with other editors, I can, I can 
I, I know where they're coming from and I can treat them well instead of being completely insensitive to the situation and having no idea what's going on. Um, but generally, I just focus on pace and performance. Okay. Like, I look for the, the perform... No, that's not the right way to say it, actually. I focus on the emotional structure of the piece. I'm not looking for the best performance. I'm looking for the performance that fits right there. Because the best performance might be the one where the actor was really showing the emotion and really showing the anger and really showing how frustrated they were with the situation. But then I realized this isn't the emotional climax of the, of the story. The emotional climax is about three shots later and I can't have this be the climax. So I need the, I need the take where the actor was being a little more subdued on the anger and this is something that I'm learning to talk about while filming instead of while <laughs> editing and telling the actor, I love it. You're definitely bringing out the anger, but this is not the moment for the anger. The anger needs to come three lines later. I'm learning to do that. I say you're learning how to get more into that director role. Absolutely. And, and it's got to be crazy being the director and the producer at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I would love to one day hire a producer, but at the same time, being a director and a producer and a writer and a director of photography slash cinematographer slash camera operator and a sound recordist and sometimes a composer and sometimes an actor all on the same video really makes me understand what's going on so that later when I'm just the director, I can say, hey, I understand. I know this is how long it takes to get room tone. If you want room tone, you must give them room tone. And if you don't <laughs> want room tone, you're a bad director. So okay. I feel like it's definitely helping me become a better director. Okay. And, and something, something I like to do in this, uh, in these episodes is always do a spin on things real quick. So we're going to spin, spin, spin this uh, bottle around real quick. I want you to help somebody out real quick with this. Teach me, teach the audience right now how to start a no budget film like walk us through the first steps walk us through step a to step z Alrighty. step one is the concept if you don't have something if you don't have a story or an idea or something like that you have nothing to film yet but yes that's obvious advice but here's the point your concept has to be something that you can do by yourself with the stuff that you have around your house. If you don't already own it and you have no budget, you can't afford to rent anything, you can't afford to buy anything. If you can't, if you don't own it and you can't borrow it, you can't use it. So I have some shorts that I want to do that I'm going to do when I start having a budget, but like there's one where a psychologist clearly doesn't understand the point of a Rorschach test. It's the, <laughs> it's that test with the ink blots. Right. And he shows somebody, a, he shows somebody one of those pictures and asks, what do you see here? But the picture's like a very clear and obvious picture. It's not an ink blot. It's just a photo of this girl running through grass. 
and the patient's like, I feel like you don't understand what a Rorschach test is. And that's kind of just how the joke goes on until okay. <laughs> the psychologist shows an actual Rorschach ink blot the way it's supposed to work. And the patient's like, that, that's more like it. And the psychologist looks at it and says, huh, my printer jammed. <laughs> well, the problem is if I'm going to do that, I have to have photos and I have to have a Rorschach ink blot. If I don't have those, the story literally cannot work. True. But I can't afford to go down to Walmart and print off three photos, which costs 54 cents, because I'm broke. Because my phone just broke, and my car just broke down, and so I can't afford to spend money on filmmaking right now. I have other things that I need to spend money on right now. So when I get a budget, I'll go make that short. But... I can't make that short because I don't have th two photographs and a Rorschach inkblot to make it with. When I do, I will make that. But the point is, your concept has to be things that you can do right now, today, with the stuff that you have by yourself. If you were the only crew member, you could still pull this off. Step two. Write the darn thing. Look, this, <laughs> part is this part's easier than you think it is because people forgive you for having no budget. Now, since you have no budget, you should probably put the best writing you possibly can into this. Rewrite it a couple times. If you're wondering like how to get the formatting right, just use Keltex. That's C-E-L-T-X dot com. It's free. It does everything for you. Just let Keltex do the work for you. Just go on Keltex and do that. But if you really can't, then just, you know, write down the lines in a Word document and email it to your, and e or even a Google Doc and email it to your cast and crew because they'll get it if you make it clear. The point is clarity. The point is not to look like a Hollywood feature yet. Okay, transparency. Just keep rewriting, though, because your first draft is never the best version. Honestly, if honestly, what I wish I could change about my process is to give myself time to rewrite things like 20 different drafts. I, I would love to only make it when I'm at draft number 20 because I want to just really perfect that writing. That said, dude, it's a 30 second short. How much rewriting do you really need? Um, speaking of which, sorry, back to concept, remember, not back concept yet. Step three, get people. Unless you really are going to be the only cast member and the only crew member, you need other people. Filmmaking is an inherently collaborative process. The people who say that they are in charge of, of the, the, the people who are, I'm the director and this is the way we're going to do it and I'm in charge and we're going to do it my way are leaving Hollywood. They are wow. either dead or okay. they're not getting jobs anymore. The only two who are like that nowadays are Chris Nolan and David Fincher. That's it. And Chris Nolan can pull it off because he's the best producer in the world because everybody loves working with Chris Nolan because, yes, he's an auteur. It's his way of the highway, but he set it up well enough that you can go his way and enjoy it. You are not Chris Nolan. You are not David Fincher. You are not Stanley Kubrick. 
you don't get to be that person. You are a dude with a smartphone and a cardboard box. <laughs> you don't get to be Chris Nolan or David Fincher. You are asking people to help you out and work for free. Make it as convenient on them as possible. No, really. I've had shorts where I've told people this is going to be the easiest thing you've ever filmed. You have one line. One. We can film your whole thing in five minutes and you can go home. The, it's going to take more time for you to drive to set than it will for you to be on set because I always give myself a goal of never going over three hours and I always give myself a goal to wrap early I always tell my cast and crew we're going we're gonna to work from 5 from 2pm to 5pm and then I always wrap around 3.15 because oh, wow. again my goal is to make things as easy on the cast and the crew as possible because the last thing I want is for them to work for free and hate it. Because movies are supposed to be fun, and if the filmmakers aren't having fun, then why would the audience have fun? So, going back to concept, if you're only going to be filming for X amount of time and you're going to be working with people who are working for free... You need a short that works with that. Like, if you're only going to film for three hours, okay, I can reasonably pull off one minute of screen time in three hours. Okay. If I'm kind of being lackadaisical about it, I can pull off a minute. If I'm really pushing it, I can get two, maybe three minutes out of three hours of film, which means the first thing that I need to do while I'm writing is never go over two minutes. Right. <laughs> if I'm gonna be going over two minutes, I need to I need to account for that in the amount of time that we're filming. If I'm gonna go over two minutes, I'm gonna say, okay, we're gonna have maybe four hours of filming or five hours of filming. Speaking of which, there is a law that if you're filming for six hours or more, you must, by law, feed your cast and crew. Oh, whoa. I have no money. So you're going to wrap it up quick. <laughs> yeah. If I hit six hours, then I failed. Because it's not that I don't want to feed my casting crew. I want to treat my casting crew right. If I can feed you, I will feed you. I can't feed you. I, I can't do that right now because I have no money. This is not an artistic choice. This is a budgetary necessity. Right. When I have money, I will feed you. But that means that I have to work fast. And I have to force myself to work fast, which also means, I'm sorry, again, you are not Stanley Kubrick, you are not David Fincher. You do not get to do 70 takes of anything. <laughs> not I'm not all. trying to be rude here, but right. in all seriousness, some people do want to be Stanley Kubrick. Some people want to be David Fincher. When you're working with money, you can do that. When, when people are... When people love your work so much that when Jesse Eisenberg hears so-and-so is making a new movie, he calls it Asians and says, I don't care what you have to do, get me on that cast. You can be David Fincher. That's what happened with The Social Network. Okay, it makes sense. Jesse Eisenberg heard that David Fincher was making a new movie and he called up his agents and said, I don't care what you have to do, get me on that cast. When you're at that level of clout, you can act like David Fincher. <laughs> but until you get that level of clout, you can't act like David Fincher. And once you get that level of clout, you'll have learned why not to act like David. I'm kidding. David 
David Fincher really does keep his cast and crew happy. That's why he could afford to be an auteur. <laughs> but the point is, um, you can't do that many takes. I do three to five takes and I move on. If I haven't gotten in three to five takes, we're moving on anyway. <laughs> You'll because figure it out I later. Should... Yeah, one, one of these takes is going to be okay. It's not going to be great, but it's going to be okay. Two, because if I haven't gotten in three to five takes, that means that I didn't direct well enough. For me personally, I know other directors say I have to get 11 takes. That's okay. That's how they work. But for me, I want to talk with the crew member, sorry, the cast member. I want to talk with the talent enough that they know exactly what I'm going for before we get take one. If things go well, I'll get it on the, if I've talked with the talent enough and rehearsed enough on the first take, we got it. We're doing two more for safety, just in case something goes wrong and we're moving on. But my goal is to talk with the talent enough and rehearse enough that they know what I'm aiming for. Also, I just don't have time to do 70 takes. David Fincher and Stanley Kubrick, they do 70, 90, 120 takes. I don't have time for that. Nobody's got time for that. We're doing three takes, seven at the absolute most, and we're going home. Okay, that's understandable. Um, so, yeah. so, so those those tips that you got right there that uh, you, that would help somebody. Um, here's my question: like, because I know, like, uh, I, I work I work in a business where I deal with a lot of retail, so I see things on sale. So, say like if I found a video uh, blogging kit or what is it, vlogging or something like that, if I found one of those. Would that be something that I could use to kind of start out? Because I've seen some that have different little lights. I, like I said, I have no type of film background, so I can't even tell you all the stuff. And I even seen like a little boom one there. I've seen it at Walmart for like $19. Um, I'm seriously reconsidering my business model now. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, because... seriousness. Sorry, go ahead. Because um, like, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a cheap tech guy. Like, yeah, I might use a Mac for this and that or... Apple for everything else, but my microphone's like twenty nine dollars. So that's why, like, that's what kind of attracted me to your no budget uh, film. You know, you're keeping it really tight. Um, like I said, if my condenser mic's twenty nine dollars, my headphones are five bucks. I don't waste money, you know, unless I'm going to turn a profit on it. So, in doing these short films, um, how do you monetize that? I don't. Not yet, or Again, just not yet. Um, I'm putting out a Patreon announcement video at the first of the year, and it's a video about a Patreon announcement video. It's a video about the tiers that we're doing, but it's put in a comedic spin. It's a. It wasn't supposed to be a Patreon announcement video. I just thought this was going to be funny, and then I realized that it would be funnier if it were a Patreon announcement video. Okay, so what you're so, doing is you're, you're yes, going to turn yourself I, more into a personality when you do that. Um, sure, I guess. I mean, you get I mean, you get my take I, on this when you go when you step over into that that field over there. You you're you're doing your job, budget uh, no budget filmmaking, but you're making yourself an entertainer when you do this because what you just told me is what something the entertainer would do. So you're going to turn into an entertainer once you do that, correct? I mean. That's what no. That's what filmmaking is. It's entertainment. Right. I mean, yeah, it can be art. It can be drama. It can be extremely ponderous, important, sometimes pretentious pieces of cinema. I don't <laughs> do that. 
I entertain people. And if it's not funny, then I didn't do my job right. I'm not trying to say I'm a clown. I'm not a comedian. I'm not actually funny. I just, I get a lot of people's feedback and I ask, hey, is this funny before I actually go and film it? Anyway, sorry. Um, as for the Patreon, as for the Patreon thing though, honestly, I'm just going to do the same stuff. And I'm okay. going to keep doing it. And I'm going to say, hey, if you want to give me money, then give me money. But that's about all the monetization I can do right now. Later on, I'm going to, you know, turn on ads on YouTube. Okay. I have enough views that that matters. Which all right, so, will not um, be for several years. Well, it, it may be uh, closer to the date. You never know when you're going to get to 15 minutes of fame. So right now, I'm going to give you my Diane Sawyer, Barbara Walters question here. Okay. If I want to see your videos today, where do I go to find them? All right, the social media, the social media handle, the name of the, wow, I'm just stuttering all over the place. The social media handle, the name of the page, the name of the show is Bueller Studios, like Ferris Bueller. My last name is Ferris, so I figured I might as well lean into it. If people are going to make jokes about it, I might as well be the, I, I might as well make the jokes first. Bueller Studios, you can find it on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Vimeo, Twitter. If there are videos shown there and you don't have to pay to access it, you can find it there. And if you, you can't find it there, please let me know so that I can go put it, so I can go put it there. Well, one thing I noticed that you didn't say, I didn't hear Tumblr, even though nobody goes there very often. You can put videos on Tumblr? Mm, we'll talk about this after the podcast. Note to self, start putting videos on Tumblr. Again, if, there, <laughs> if, you, if I can put videos there, I will put videos there. And if I'm not putting videos there yet, I want to know so that I can start putting videos there. And, I've had and, three views total on Vimeo, but like that's still three more views. Right. So let me ask you this. Are you out here? Did you say Snapchat? Ooh, somebody else has suggested Snapchat. Yeah, because I, I, I understand, I understand what, like, everyone I interview about this, they're not understanding this advertisement gorilla that you have with Snapchat. You have a TikTok, so that, that's putting you over the top already. That's, like, super promotion. My girlfriend is so hype into it. My best buddy that, that travels with me around the world, all he does is watch TikTok, which is baffling to me. But TikTok and Snapchat, for some reason, them, with a slow integration of Instagram, I have found... That those three things are the trifecta in advertising. Honestly, I get more views on TikTok than anywhere else except Facebook. But that's because I spend several hours promoting every single week on Facebook, specifically TikTok. I just upload it and I'm done and I get like 400 to 800 views. Okay, somewhere between 200 and 400 views a week, which is not big for TikTok, but it's big for me. Right, and, that, and that's what I'm saying. This whole model that everybody's doing, like I tell them, you take that TikTok and you take that Snapchat, you go to Linktree, you put them together, you take Instagram, Linktree, put it all together. You have just made yourself a media juggernaut, you know? And considering where I want to be is big enough that some guy at Blumhouse or Paramount or Marvel will say, yeah, that guy, I want to hire you then uh, yeah, I, I need to be doing the media juggernaut things like being on TikTok and Snapchat. I'm on Instagram. I don't really do much on Instagram. I need to do more on Instagram. Yeah, turn your page over to a business page and, and run with it. It gives you good insights and things like that. So we're getting okay. to the middle of the show or almost towards the end, wherever we're in the show page itself. So I've got to do something with you. It's something I do with every guest on my show. Yeah, sure. Okay. 
Now, this is really serious. I, I need you to get your serious face on. Audience can't see your face, but they can hear your voice. I don't have a serious face. You don't have a serious face? Well, we'll just get one for two seconds. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I do have a serious <laughs> face. But like, All right, so here I'm we a get. filmmaker. I make comedy. I don't have a serious face. I have flippancy. That's all I have. Okay. Anyway. All right, so here's the thing. My audience and I would like to know something about you or a hidden talent that you've never told anyone about. That's hard. Because I tell a lot of people about a lot of things. Um, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a talent, but just something that no one knows about you. Like, for instance, I have a guy that's been on the show that can do a Rubik's Cube in 30 seconds. He can solve it. It's on YouTube. Ridiculous. He's a rapper. He's in New York City, you know, doing whatever they do in New York City. And he can just take a Rubik's Cube and solve it. Some crazy mind function. <laughs> I mean, I play piano. I play guitar. I used to teach piano. I play D&D. Yeah. D&D is about the closest that I have to something that I don't, that, that, that nobody knows. I mean, all my friends know. But, like, I go by a different name when I'm DMing. So okay. That's about the closest that I have. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm oh. kind of an open book. I don't really have secrets. Well, that's awesome. I mean, as long as you have something, because like everybody has something like, for instance, with me, I do not like beats. I will lose a friend. I will lose a wife. I will lose a house over beats. If you have beats, you try to serve me those root vegetables. I will leave your house. I will even hey, put I in a rating. Talk- huh? I thought you were talking about the headphones by Dr. Dre. No, 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 like beets that you eat. I, yeah, if, that makes more sense. Yeah, if you serve me beets, we're done. And everyone that's involved with us is not coming to your house anymore. <laughs> and I'm going to write a bad review on you on Google. So, <laughs> yeah, it gets that kind of serious. So, with all that said, um, I want to thank you for being a guest on the show today. Thank you. Um, West Virginia Commonplace. We always appreciate people with um, out the box ideas because this is really like this is a crazy concept. Like you know, with what you've said today, when this goes on air and people listen to this, it's going to be some kid. Now, I understand you're in uh, Utah, but we're talking about I'm out here in West Virginia. These cold mountains. There may be some kid with a stolen cell phone that decides that he wants to make a movie now because it's free. You know. He has a phone. He can use it. And now he can take this concept that you said, do everything for free. You don't have to waste money to make a film. Well, then, I'm going to talk to that kid for a sec. I'm sorry. There's a little bit of stuff you need to know. (laughs) You're not supposed to do this. You're supposed to pay your cast and crew. I can't. And so I do literally everything I possibly can to benefit them. That might be uh, promoting their stuff. It might be plugging their work, kind of like you're doing on this podcast of asking asking the audience where they can find my work. Um, It might be uh, making it, it might be making it fast on them. It's most importantly being the nicest person they've ever met, but still being a director. You are still the director. This is an inherently collaborative process. You are still the captain of the ship. People will still follow your leadership, but they'll follow your leadership more if you're nice. Okay. Um, but seriously, 
you should feel bad about making no budget films. I don't <laughs> brag about this because I shouldn't be doing this. I'm currently saving up money. Like I'm putting a, putting 1% of every paycheck into making, into filmmaking so that pretty soon I can start feeding people and pretty soon I can start <laughs> paying people. And then once I'm feeding people and I'm paying people, then I'll go buy some equipment, but I'm prioritizing taking care of my cast and crew by feeding people and paying people. Um, along those lines, okay, this is gonna be the absolute hardest part you're gonna run into as a no budget filmmaker sound everyone has a phone everyone can take video phones i'm i'm sorry beginning filmmakers don't get it when it comes to sound they just don't understand that the further away they just don't understand the further away you are from your microphone the worse it sounds no matter how you're doing it like right. i was just i was just like two feet away from my microphone and it automatically sounded like garbage make sure you have good sound that might be recording audio that might be recording additional dialogue doing some adr in which case go look go look up how to do adr well don't throw your actors under the bus with bad adr it might be uh going and looking up d for darius's video on how to do sound cheap he has a really good video on how to do sound cheap but like if you have to go spend however much it is to go buy a boom kit that's the first piece of equipment I'm saving up for. It's for Okay. Because my sound sucks. Because I know because I know how to do sound, but most of the ways I know cost money or turn out badly. Take care of your sound. Your sound guy is going to be the last person that you think of when you're on set. That should not be the case. When you're on set, your sound guy is the second most important person there. You figure out who the most important person there, but the second most is the sound guy. Okay. Because if your sound is bad, your movie is bad automatically. No one can hear what's going on. No one can tell what's going on. The jokes don't land. The exposition is terrible. You start, just take care of your sound and your sound will take care of your movie. So yeah, take care of your cast and crew, keep them happy be nice to them do everything you possibly can to help them out with no money and especially take care of your sound whether it's your sound guy or whether you are your sound guy take care of your sound okay because and I... the sound is going to be the easiest thing for you to overlook and if you have bad sound you have a bad movie just don't overlook your sound sorry I don't know if I've beaten that horse dead yet or not have I beaten uh, that horse dead yet you've, you've, you've knocked that horse into the ground um, okay, good, good. And, and I thank you for reiterating that. And um, once again, Hunter Ferris, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Lastly, is there a shout out to anyone you want to give? Like anybody that's helped you or anybody that's inspired you? Oh, gosh. There have been so many people that have helped so much that I literally could not name every one of them. Um, the one who's coming to mind is that the cinematographer on the biggest production that I did, this was the one where we had to do the most pre-production on cinematography and his camera was essential and his work was essential. He was literally playing a character in it because the camera was a complete character. I, most people say that as an, art, as an artsy thing. 
no, I mean that this was a short about a film crew and the camera guy was one of the characters. And so every single camera angle, we had to think from a level of character, why is the camera guy putting the, ca putting the camera there? Um, like, seriously, that one was a huge help. Uh, his YouTube channel is Alberto Nunes, N-U-N-E-S, and he's about to do a bunch of videos on cinematography. The other one is my brother was working in film for about five years before I started working in film. His name is Benson Ferris. By the way, my last name, Ferris, is spelled F-A-R-R-I-S. I don't know why I just said that. Um, here's the point. Yeah, his work really inspired me to get on other people's sets and really inspired me to start making my own stuff. His work made me feel like filmmaking was a lot more accessible. Um, and he is on Facebook as Benson Ferris Film and Media, and he's on Twitter at Go Soundtracks. Okay. All right. So once again, I want to thank you so much for coming on. And cool thing, once you get more things going on and stuff like that, we always love to have recurring guests. So we would be much good. obliged if you'd come back. Thank you very I'd much. Be much obliged to come back.